Now, a topic uh, this morning, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at, and starting at verse 17. We're going to be looking at sanctification and soul winning. And I'm going to tie these together in a very unusual way. But you'll understand once we get into it, and it'll all tie together, and it'll it'll all culminate into an understanding of what's going on. Okay, chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to walk all, uh, to work all uncleanness and greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. Turn to First Peter, chapter two. Find out where I am here. Everything's kind of sticking together here. I know you're in here. Here we are. First Peter two. It says in verse nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And holy nation, a peculiar, peculiar, interesting word, peculiar people. It actually means kind of odd. Strange a little bit. That you should uh, show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now uh, have obtained, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly, dearly beloved, I beseech you. Now my mouth is acting up here. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war after the soul, having your con, uh, conversation honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may uh, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And then go back to Genesis chapter 23. Verse 3 and 4. 
Now, what we have here is uh, is the death and the burial of Sarah. And Abraham is looking for a place to put Sarah after her death. In verse 3 and 4, And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a birth, uh, burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Go to Exodus chapter 18. I should have put sticky notes in my Bible, but it would have looked like a porcupine by the time I got done here. 18. And in here is uh, Jethro the priest. Let's start at verse 1. Jethro the priest of Midian, uh, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for the, uh, Moses and for Israel, his people, and that God had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and and her two sons, which were uh, name of one is Gershom, and, and he had said, I have been an alien in a strange land. An alien in a strange land. A couple of words standing out. Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19 and verse 15. And he just makes a comment here, and, and I'm just, I'm not really trying to tie everything together, but I'm just looking at key words. Job 19.15, And they that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. Now, the day that we're dwelling in his house were those three friends he had and the rest of the family and servants that were there to help. In Psalms, I'll just read a few of them now. You're kind of getting the idea. I'll just read them out, and it'll be a lot easier. Psalm 69, 8 says, I'm become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. In First Chronicles 29, 15 says, We are strangers before thee and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. In other words, we're dying. We're just dying off. We just come, we sojourn, we're strangers, and we not here anymore. So, you know, he's, I guess he's basically concerned about having an impact where he is. Hebrews 11.13. And, of course, that's the faith chapter. I'm talking about a lot of people that stood up for what they believed in, which was Christ in their life. And suffered greatly for it. Many of them. These are all dead in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Well, the Word of God says we are all 
aliens. <clears throat> We're aliens. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, excuse me, um, we are aliens. We are strangers to this world. And we're supposed to be. Because we're looking for a new home and get to, and getting to that home. So we're sojourners, we're pilgrims who are in Christ. So that what the lesson to be learned here is why has God called us to, out to be a peculiar people throughout, uh, or through his son Jesus Christ? Is the word alien or a new creature true fit for the child of God? What is an alien? It's not a space invader. Those don't exist. I mean, there is sightings and everything like that, but I truly believe, and I've heard this all my life as a Christian, people talk about this and, and preach about it, that there there is some kind of alien presence, but it's not from another planet. It's Satan working. Are we a new species? An alien is a citizen of a far country in a country that is foreign to him or her. And a new creature is what God makes us when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. In 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Boy, when I got saved, there's a lot of old things that passed away. There's a lot of things that changed. You know? And Linda and I got saved the same day. Before we were married. And ended up being married as Christians. So there was a lot of things we cut out. A lot of things. I remember we always meet with friends and we just got saved. We were excited about it. So we're trying to tell our friends about what happened to us and what experience we had and, and, and learned so much in just a little short time to be so excited, but without a lot of wisdom. Because when I'm doing that, I'm with a group of my friends that I've hung around all through high school with a beer in my hand. My wife had her drink in her hand, and she's trying to talk to somebody. And you get to these things, and, and uh, one pastor told it when he got saved. He was in his house reading his Bible, drinking a beer, and he looks, he looks at the Bible then he looks at the beer. He looks at the Bible, looks at the beer. These don't go together. And he made a choice. Okay, net in Galatians chapter six. You now, the key thing here is the new creature. If you, you on seventeen of uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. It's a new creature, okay? You got some Bibles, they change that word to creation. Um, and even in this Bible here, which is an old Schofield, they put a footnote, creation. Okay. 
That's a creation. Somebody created that. That flag back there is a creation. It's a symbol of something. The seat we're sitting is a creation. Okay? Does it breathe? No, it doesn't. Does it have life? No, it doesn't. Galatians 6, 14 through 15, and this is another proof text of something that it God meant, creature. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me. I unto the world, uh, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncons, uh, uh, nor uncircumcision. That's the difference between Gentile and Jew. In the last four words were, but a new creature. If God didn't mean new creature, it would not have been transposed or what it is, what is it? Translated as new creature. It would have said new creation. Because can you create something without putting your hands to it? God did. Hands made that. That's a creation. So when somebody asks you about that, you just say, well, you don't understand. So what we're talking about is aliens. Is they actually the sub uh, sub Subject, I guess, of what is today as a child of God. Well, what is an alien? An alien is a person that's in a strange land. He's a sojourner. He's not here, uh, as by birth. You have somebody that comes from a foreign country into America, or Americans go into another country. They are sojourners. They're strangers in that land. You know, of course, with modern age, that idea of what is strange anymore is just dissolving away because of commerce and and how quick you can get someplace and how you can communicate between, you know, countries and things like that. But the difference is some things that you have to remember when you see somebody you don't recognize as you would think be an American, okay? Or from this country. So, turn to First Peter chapter one. In First Peter chapter one, starting at verse thirteen. Wherefore gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hoped to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance, in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all matter of conversation. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Okay, what is, what are we talking about? They act different. Somebody that's from a foreign country acts different. 
they don't have the same type of mannerisms that we've learned, and some of ours are certainly changed through the years too. But there's mannerisms that they have. In First Peter chapter two verse nine, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. There's that word again. That you should show forth the praises of Him that hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So we're supposed to be an example of something. Titus two, Titus two, Titus two, chapter fourteen. Why don't you turn there? Titus 2, 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, being holy doesn't necessarily mean overpious, or even looking down at someone, but that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and observe the dictates of the Word of God, which is our instruction manual. So we don't have anything to be pious about because we're sinners. We're all sinners. We're sinners just like the lost are. It's just that we said, okay, wait a minute. I'm putting a definition on my life. And I'm going to endeavor to put a roadblock against living against. Well, that roadblock is against sin in our life. We're trying not to sin. You know, we do sin. Yeah, we do do things. But yet, we're supposed to act different. We're supposed to act different. Romans 8.28, For we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. We love God and fully trust that He is the, has the best interest, or our best interest in His all-knowing heart. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, you can turn there, because this is a good verse, and especially verse 9 is a good one to memorize. It says here that uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, there are some Christian groups that teach that, that you know, now that they have gotten saved, they don't sin anymore. I'm sorry. You're a new creature, but there are certain things, you know, because a leopard can't always change their spots, can they? They can't even rub them off. They can't cover them up too well, but, you know, unless you want to see leopard in, you know, in a suit, something like that. It says, so that it says that the truth is not in us. If we confess, now here's verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to do that daily, don't we? But yet, does that sin send us to hell? No. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Who's him? Lord, God, creator, 
of us as Christians, as new creatures. And his word is not in us. He's our heavenly father. And as our heavenly father, if we disobey him and we do something, does he stop being our heavenly father? Your father didn't stop being a father to you just because you did something. Now, they might say, okay, I I renounce you, you know, like some foolish fathers do. But the thing is, he's always a father. Well, your heavenly father is always your father. You can always come to him. But what happens is it does break fellowship. And if you're involved in sin and you're breaking fellowship yourself, not he, because he'll be right there to be saying, wait a minute, I'm still here. Stop, my son. Stop, my daughter. The believer understands that while he still abide, that he, we still abide in the sinful flesh, we are susceptible to the sins of the flesh, and that forgiveness is always obtainable from our Heavenly Father, because Jesus Christ, His Son, paid for our sins on the cross. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But the uh, natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man is the unsaved man, the unsaved person. So, what's happening? An alien acts different. They act different. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Not too far from where we were here. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the age of man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The age of women likewise, that they should be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine. Oh gosh, don't even touch it. Don't even touch it. Now wine, there's three different wines in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. There's three different ones. Okay. And they all, they started in what Jesus did in John 4, 5, I forgot now. That was not fermented. He changed water into grape juice, which was and was always saved for the best stuff because a fermented wine was always considered cheap. And the best stuff was one that had to be worked for and gotten and preserved to be clean and not turned. Okay, uh, where was I? Uh, in, in, yeah, teachers of good things that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to the, and to love their children. Gosh, we got to do that. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. Now, a lot of people say, you know, they got to stay at home and they're supposed to clean. They're not supposed to go out and get a job or anything like that. No, you know what keepers at home mean? They're not out 
gallivant and busybody. They're not out bashing their husbands or their leadership or anything like that in the church. They are there a setting of example of being calm and in control of their themselves, for one thing, that what they do does not put a bad light on what Christ is trying to do. Obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not uh, blasphemed, uh, blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in a pattern uh, or in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, uh, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the of a contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. No evil thing to say of you. If they're going to say evil, they're going to they're going to condemn you for trying to live a good life. And then First Peter chapter three verse one through seven says, "Likewise, ye wives, be subject to your own husbands, that is, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives." So, a wife has an unsaved husband. If you live by the dictates of the Word of God, and in in embrace those and and be gentle, you'll win your husband eventually. We have a a lady that uh, that was in a church in Freedom, and ever since we went there, we were there seventeen years. This lady had uh, he uh, her husband had come to church, but he had never gotten saved. Well, he was on his deathbed. And he finally asked her, tell me about Jesus Christ, what he did, and supposedly gotten saved. Now, I hope that is true. But, you know, to hold out that long was dangerous. It says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be of an outward adorning of plating of the hair, wearing a gold and putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in which is not corruptible, even the adornment, yeah, the adornment of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after the manner of the old time uh, holy uh, women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands, even Sarah obeyed uh, Abraham, calling him Lord. Wow. Now that's because he didn't demand it. It's because he deserved it by the honor that he gave his wife. And she honored him back. And of course, we're talking about a time that's totally different than what America was. But that had only changed in the last 50 years. 
talking about calling him Lord, whose daughters are ye as long as you do well, and be not afraid with, uh, with, with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, given honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together, together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You know, uh, I'm not going to say any more. It's, it's, you think about it, it's very self-explanatory. There are still people who dress in traditional costumes and of their, of their ancestors. And there are people today who wear costumes of their own making. A person, you know, basically is different who's an alien. They look different. Now, some of that was internal, what I mentioned, but yet, you can tell an alien, a visitor from another country, by the way they look, by dress. Sometimes it's facial features. Sometimes it actually is dress. Now, it's getting harder and harder because, you know, one of the garments that have crossed all boundaries in many countries is the American gene, blue jeans. So there's a lot of people that look all the same around the world in certain areas. But when they dress to honor their country, they dress the costumes in the apparel of that country. So there are clothes that reveal too much. There are clothes that reveal their corrupt minds, embellished with inappropriate language or pictures, you know, wearing the T-shirts and stuff and come to church in your best beer ad on your shirt. A T-shirt really is an undergarment. It really is. Even in Old Testament, men re, uh, recognize the attire of a harlot. You can tell by the way somebody dresses what they are. Also in the Old Testament, they could recognize by the way they dressed of which team they were batting for. If you think about that, because men are looking like women, women are looking like men by their dress, not just their language. So basically it boils down to two things more than anything. Whatever you do and however you dress, two words come to mind. Because it, it shouldn't be that stringent, but it, 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 it's more of attitude on how you should dress. The first word is modest. And the second word is honor. Dress honestly and, uh, and with honor towards your heavenly father, what he's done for you, and modestly for your heavenly father, and also for your husband. Because then somebody else isn't paying more attention to your wife than they should. I don't really see too many problems that way here. I don't see it. But, you know, dress, you don't, you don't, you don't go to a baseball game in a three-piece suit. Don't come to church dressed like you're going to a baseball game. Come with some kind of honor. 
It doesn't have to be a suit, but dress your best. I don't care. We had a guy who was in uh, in Tenino. He didn't have a lot of clothes. He was a hard worker, and you know how he he came. He had a really good pair of blue jeans on. They were really nice looking blue jeans, and he kept them that way. And he always wore some kind of a like a horn's tooth, or is that what they call a horn's tooth jacket? You know, it was a, like a cowboy jacket with the patches and stuff like that. But he always looked good in a decent shirt. He was dressed appropriately because he came there, even in appearance, to honor during worship. So. They look different. You can tell them. You can find out from a crowd what, you know. I'm, I'm thinking a lot of them like, uh, India and stuff, in, in Japan and stuff, and in, in different countries. And of course, the way they dress in their country is going to be different than they may dress here, because they're going to want to f- try to fit in. But yet, they are different. They talk different. First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. We're moving right along here. As soon as I can find it. My fingers just don't want to work here. Chapter four, verse eleven. It says If any man speak, let him speak of the oracles of God. What does that mean? Um, I see all the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't see the book of oracle. Okay? But what is it really saying? The oracles are contained in the Word of God. And their language is set up in the Word of God, to follow the precepts of which God has aligned for us to separate us from the world to a, to a certain degree so that people can recognize that we are, for one thing, we talk different. We act different and, and everything like that. Let him speak the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it is is of the ability that God had given him. So... You gotta give that ability. As you grow, your abilities change. So, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom the praise and dominion forever and ever. So, we have a different way to speak. You know, one of the ways we speak different and should be this way, is dirty jokes, dirty stories, filthy language, swearing, cussing, things of that nature. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In Exodus chapter 20, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, For the Lord will hold him guiltless that take his name in vain. Matthew chapter 12. And I know I'm hurrying through this, and if you can follow, it's good for you, but, you know, 
I'm not necessarily turning to everything. I got it all written out because I'm feeble. <laughs> Matthew chapter 12 says from 34 to 37, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good measure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that a man shall speak, they shall give an account therefore in the day of judgment. Boy, I'm glad I wouldn't be there. I won't be there. I'll maybe watching it from the side when that takes place in Revelation 20. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. When I first got saved, the first thing I did, I was working on a line. We were putting these canisters in containers uh, to be shipped. The canister was thing for air pollution. It would take exhaust gases and break them down and return them back to the motor so they won't go into the air, off-gassing of it. So I'm trying to tell the guys that I'm working with, you know what happened to me this Sunday? I got saved. I'm going to heaven. And they're all looking at me and going, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know you. Boy, it struck like you wouldn't believe. So, let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come to see you or to be absent, I may hear of your affairs, and ye stand fast in one spirit, one mind, having striving together the faith of the gospel. I had to learn to temper my language. I had to learn, okay, it's not right to speak that way, that offends my Lord and Savior and God, my Heavenly Father. I had to change. I got to the point, and I went to the tool rooms after that, and I worked 30 years there. I could be in the tool room working on that, and the guys are talking, they're all joking, and, and they said, wait a minute, you gotta hear this, and, and they go, um, Mike, you, oh, they called me Griff. That was my nickname there. Griff. Griff, you're not gonna want to hear this. He says, go over there, or something like that. And they go, and I could hear by the laughter that was over, and I'd come back. And it was respect. I couldn't believe it was respect. Because I tried to talk to him. I tried to talk to him and try to live it. I didn't always succeed at that either. Sometimes I wasn't doing right. You know, I'd go along with something and say, okay, but it wasn't evil. You know. So we see that uh, we we change, you know. And let's see if I got in the right spot here. Yeah. So, in First Peter chapter two, verse eleven, it says, "Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from worldly lusts, or fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. It attacks you." It, it attacks your, your testimony. 
And it's not good for you to be involved in that. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may have by your good works, uh, or they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Some of them might have gotten saved. I've witnessed a bunch of people in that plant. And some, you know, have gotten saved some other way, but maybe by the way I was trying to live, I had a hand in doing that. You know, not directly, but just part of one. Just part of one. Just trying to be an example. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9 through 13. But the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. How do you reprove them? By the testimony of your life. You might have to actually say something too. As uh, I, I don't want. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to violate what I know is right and decent before God. If they want you involved in something, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Well, that's the light of the gospel too, in the light of your testimony also. For whatsoever uh, doth make manifest is light. First Peter chapter 3 says, While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. You know what you're illustrating when you're doing that? You are illustrating a fear. That fear is, is supposed to be one of obedience. And so I don't want to disappoint my Savior. You know, when that guy cuts me off, I ooh, I can't do that. And sometimes I still do that. And God says, don't do that. So, where were we? We were talking about talking different. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12 through 16, now we have, uh, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given, uh, to us of God, which things also we speak. Not in words of man's wisdom teacheth, but which is, uh, uh, which the Holy Ghost teacheth, Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. They're lost. They don't have the new creature. They haven't been turned to the new creature. We were the old, and we've had a transformation, a spiritual transformation. He said, they don't, they, uh, uh, neither can they know them because they are spiritually discerned, but he that is spiritual judges all things. You know, we're supposed to judge. We are supposed to judge. I had, uh, somebody say to me, you're supposed to be Christians. You're not supposed to judge. Look, it says judge not. You mean judge also. But 
Read the rest. Read the rest. Because it says, you know, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet himself he judgeth no man. For who uh, hath known the mind of God that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So if we're doing something and it's not right, we need to be judged about it, especially by the lost. Hey, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, you're right. You're going to pick yourself up sometimes. Say, oh, i got to get back on the path. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3 says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah in Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among the thorns. In other words, you're going to be getting someplace. Don't sow among the thorns, the evildoers. Get out there and sow and break up fallow ground. Get into new areas. You know, the thorns are the people a lot of times. So you've already witnessed to and you already witnessed to. You just follow good example and live a Christian life and do right. But sometimes you're going to have to break up some fallow ground. You're going to have to get in some place and plow it up and, and figure out what is the best thing to do and when trying to reach somebody that you don't know and get in there and tell them and Converse with them. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and reign in righteousness. So act different, look different, talk different. Now here's where we're going to tie a whole bunch of things together. It is basically soul winning you've learned everything to get you started you've learned everything how to act how to dress how to talk things like this you know if you went to a different country yourself they're going to recognize you're not of that country because you're different but yet you can soul win in your country in your area in your house in your little two foot by two foot square to others around you. And an alien and an alien from a different country would be and should be excited to talk about the country they love. The customs they had, the father who waits for their return, the food they enjoyed. The alien would love to have others come to his country and enjoy the benefits of his country and all it has to offer. That's why he tells all who will listen, come to his home country. What's your home country? It's really not here. You're a new creature. It's there. We're to be telling other people about our country that we yearn to go to, want to go to. There also are others who know that they uh, will see someday and have missed them because they're, and they were already back. So there's some that have left this country and have gone to their home, gone to heaven. Uh, 
there's other people they know who have uh, lost a loved one who are in heaven, sure, waiting for their passage home to arrive. They have heard of uh, from others who, like them, long to go home, but they have not been called back yet to their home for their work here is not finished. Our work here is not done. If we're here and God hasn't called us home, we're not done. We're not finished. As a sideline, some something not talked about very much, and this is me, and it, it kind of slapped me in the head a little bit. Not talked about very much, or maybe not at all. Those rejected souls that were forsaken masses of flesh found in trash cans, destroyed by a pill, discarded by a drug-abusing person poisoning her body, will we meet them? I'm talking about those fetuses that everybody says we're not a soul, not a person. And I'm telling you, there's doctors that prove it that they are because they can grow. And you can get them out before they were not full term and they could survive. And many of them have. You know, a lot of these souls are aborted by silly women using a doctor or a clinic for their contraceptive convenience. And praise God that was overturned, but it isn't overturned at the state level. So, are they not precious souls in the eyes of God? What are they going to be like? A soul that had never sinned. While breathing, you know. Because they couldn't breathe. They were aborted before they drew a breath. I would think for all of them that have been aborted around the world, especially in America, the heavens can be pretty busy. And how else should I think of that? How else can I think of that? You know? I mean, we had some families in here that have lost a loved one. Some at a very young age, some at an old age. Think of the marvelous reunion that's going to be. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Psalms 1.26.5 and 6 they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We used to go out soul winning. And I, I, I don't know, did you do that as a church early on? Get out there and go. What a thrill when you can come back and say, we won somebody to Christ. It just lights you up. It's, it is beautiful. It is wonderful feeling. 
Romans 12, uh, verses 1 through 5, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You're supposed to spend yourself. You're supposed to die to yourself. Living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, whose is this favorite verse? In verse 2, and be not condemned, uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, uh, but to think soberly according to as God dealt with to every man the measure of faith, for as we have many members in one body, all members have not one same office. Miss on that one, but you understand. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. Ezekiel 33, 8 says, When I say unto the wicked man, or to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from the, his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. We're supposed to be out there doing it. We're supposed to be out there. You know, we don't have to do it collectively or anything like that. You just got to be one. So how are you doing today? And I'll always say, hey, better than I deserve. I don't say that just to be flippant. I try to open a conversation. No, you're better than that. I said, no, I'm not. As I'm a sinner that was born and was on his way to hell, and then Jesus Christ saved me and gave me eternal life. Be a witness every place, every way you can. Every way you can. Carry some tracks. Hand out a track. When I do funerals, I, I tell them ahead of time, I'm going to preach the gospel. Um, if you have a problem with that, then really you ought to find somebody else. I said, I'm not trying to be cruel and not to be mean to you or in, in disrespect your loved one who's gone on and is, is dead. But I know by purpose that I'm supposed to be an example and tell others about what Christ did for me and he could do for everyone. So in Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 13 and 15, for whosoever shall call upon in the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Why haven't they believed? Why haven't they heard? Because we're not doing it. We're not doing the job. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? You're a preacher. Man, woman, child. Even children can be a preacher. Because it's just testimony of what of what God has given us to give out. Except, and it says, how can they preach unless they be sent? We have been sent. It tells go out into all the world. And as it is written, beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. This, I'll say this, and this is the last phrase. This old alien stands here before you has heard of a land on a faraway strand. Tis a beautiful home of the soul. Built by Jesus on high, 
There we never shall die. Tis a land where we never grow old. Let's bow for our prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as aliens in a foreign country with a common interest to hear the word of God and try to use it to go out and tell others, Lord, help us, Lord, to be constantly individual over our own soul, our our needs to follow you and what you say in the word of God and trust in you that you will take care of us and bring us home when you want us to be here, be home and use us while we're here in your field to sow and bring home the harvest. I pray, Lord, you bless and direct and be with the rest of this day and this service this day. In Jesus' name, amen.